Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Javier Zamora is a renowned Salvadorian poet and activist. When he was just nine years old, he immigrated alone from El Salvador to the U.S. His memoir, Solito, details this harrowing journey that many immigrants face. The book is everything. It's beautiful, heartbreaking, deeply personal, and so incredibly important. I had the pleasure of speaking with Javier a few times since his book became a Read with Jenna pick in 2022. I hope you enjoy this, our first conversation. start with the title of this beautiful book, Solito. Why did you name it that? Solito means alone. And that word has meant different things. When I was in El Salvador, you know, the war happened, the civil war from 1980 till 1992. I was born in 1990. My dad left right before I was about to turn one. And then my mom left when I was four years old. So I grew up not knowing my dad. I would communicate with him through a telephone, letters and photographs. And when my mom left, I was left with my grandparents and the same thing. I would just communicate through telephone calls, letters, photographs. So I felt parentless Mm -hmm. and I felt alone, even though I was with loving grandparents and two loving aunts, my dogs and my friends and everything but I still felt different than all the other kids. Mm -hmm. And once they gather enough money to bring me to this country, in the journey that was 3,000 mile journey that was only supposed to take two weeks max, and the journey that I was supposed to be with this coyote, Don Dago, whom I had met because he's the same person that brought my mom here. And so I knew him. But then the two weeks turned into seven weeks, nine weeks. And I think it's at that point in the book where I realized being by myself, again, alone, solito, that it was the first time in my life where none of my parents were with me. But then that changes again as this group of strangers, these immigrants, Marcelo, Chele, Chino, Carla, Patricia, and Marta made me feel less alone. And slowly, they become my family and a family without whom I wouldn't be here today. I, I, I am here. I survived the nine weeks alone because of them. That part of your story, the part of the best of humanity, the part where a stranger literally carries you because your little feet couldn't walk anymore mm-hmm. was what um, brought me so much hope. How did you feel when you met these people that treated you like a son? I was nine years old. I couldn't swim. 
And the first thing that I have to do is go on this boat, face the ocean with these strangers. And it was Chino who eventually gives me his jacket to warm me in this roofless boat um, in the middle of the ocean where it's dark. And he hugs me. And that was, I think, the beginning of like, whoa, strangers are nice. And I allowed him to hug me. And I think that was a metaphor for what occurred and kept occurring. And they didn't have to do this. Patricia already had a 12-year-old daughter. She didn't have to be as available and as loving and as caring as she was with me. But there was something in her heart. Let's go back to El Salvador. You had, a, as you said, loving grandparents, a loving family, friends. You loved school. And you were told by your parents that you were going to go on a trip. <laughs> and I just think of what my kids would think of what a trip would mean. What did you remember thinking that trip was going to be like? After my mom got here, and she didn't really explain how she got here, but I knew, and through my aunt, she also didn't really understand what my mom had gone through. In the book, I say, like, what I heard was, oh, your mom took a trip. She went on a car. She ran through hills. And then she got into another car and then eventually made it to California. That was sort of the idea that I was sort of expecting. I can't even really imagine being alone, being nine, and you were off on this journey. What were some of the things, some of the unspeakable fears that you dealt with uh, during that time? That I was never gonna make it. Mm. That I was never gonna see my parents. And at one point closer to the United States, I also thought that I was never gonna see my grandparents in, in El Salvador. But the everyday unexpected things were just the fear that I was gonna be left again. Because along these weeks, the group started with eight people and then the coyote leaves with somebody else that took my spot because I was always supposed to be with the coyote and he was supposed to play off as my dad, which he left. Mm -hmm. And then once we got to the border, Marcelo leaves the group mm -hmm. and then we get apprehended by immigration and then Chele leaves. And then there's just us four. And at one point, Chino also leaves. There's only three. Mm -hmm. And I think that was always the fear, what's gonna happen if I am by myself as a nine-year-old kid? But as a nine-year-old, they didn't understand what that meant. And it was just that insurmountable fear. And your mind doesn't allow you to think death. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I think an adult would be very afraid of death. Yes. But as a kid, I was just afraid. And I didn't know what. And my mind learned a lot of tricks at that age. And some of the tricks were to dissociate and play games. I mean, that is what's so beautiful about this book is that you went back into the mind of your nine-year-old self. I guess in some ways, the opposite of fear is hope. And what this book was also filled with was the hope of you seeing your parents again. 
Like, how did that get you through it? I think it was hope and love. So Marcelo leaves the group. And the first thing he does is call my parents. And what he tells my parents is like, that kid's going to make it. He keeps repeating that he's going to make it. Mm. Or in the book, I write it as, I'm going to see my parents. Yeah. I'm going to see them. And I think it's that optimism and that optimism and hope, I think just grew out of me loving my mom and being reunited with my mom because I knew her. I didn't remember my dad, but it was this love of this figure that I don't even know exists, but I know is real because I know his voice through a phone that I talk to every week and that he sends me letters. And that is my love and hope that I would be in the same bed Mm -hmm. in between them. Again, I imagine that they owned a waterbed, this huge (laughs) house with a pool in the back. But that was not the reality. That's just what kept me going. For people who haven't read this book, can you just list some of the things that you had to go through? Yeah, and it's the details that didn't allow me to tap into what I eventually wrote about. Yeah, It's the details that this happened to me when I was nine years old. And I didn't start writing this until I was 29. And I couldn't have written this if I had not had papers, a green card. Yeah. And had I not had a brilliant therapist. Yeah. And a very supporting and loving uh, partner. And those details were deeply ingrained in some part of the brain that I kept in like triple lock. Yeah. And to protect yourself. To protect myself. But once they come out, so the details, I think the hardest part was running away from a helicopter. We thought that the helicopter hadn't seen us. Mm-hmm. And we kept on walking 10 to 15 kilometers in the dark, in the desert, through grasses and wearing a black backpack so it doesn't reflect anything because patrol is gonna see you and find you that way. We get taken by border patrol. Chino gets tackled by a border patrol agent and has a gun pointed at him Mm. while he's carrying me in the back. So as a nine-year-old, that was the second gun that got pointed at me because the Mexican police also pointed a gun at me, Mm -hmm. which is something unimaginable for a little kid. And once we get apprehended, I was in detention for what to me felt less than a day, but I passed out. And it must have been more than 24 hours. I was the only kid with all these grown-ups in a six-by-eight cell that there was only one bathroom and the water that we drank is on top of that sink. Mm. And I still can see mm-hmm. that gray sink. And that, that was just the first try. And then that happened three more tries in different ways. It's those details that are vivid still, as I'm telling you, yeah. I can see that sink. But I hope that a reader can just be there with me when I was alone, solito, by myself. I think there'll be a lot of readers there with you. Let's talk a little bit more about the process. As you said, it took a lot of therapy. It took having a loving partner and journals too. Mm -hmm. This is a very personal Mm -hmm. story that probably was not easy to write. 
When did you think, okay, I think I can do this? And how did the journals help? I have a book that I made with a school counselor. California law made it a requirement for every newcomer kid to have therapy. So I would meet with this therapist and she would just have me draw. I found myself drawing a cell, drawing the boat, drawing a helicopter. That allowed me to process and to put this story outside of my nine-year-old mm-hmm. body and hold that book, which is my prized possession. But at the same time, that allowed me to forget it mm. and to store it away, literally store it away and never look at it again. I never looked at that book until I was in my 20s because, again, the details were too mm-hmm. tragic for mm-hmm. me to face. And in that time, in between nine years and I want to say 21 years old, I attempted to write poetry. And those journals, I was just skimming. I was just scratching the surface. And I was only scratching the surface because had I dug deep, I would have had a breakdown. Yeah. And later, like I mentioned, when I was 28, This therapist found me, who is an immigrant herself from the Dominican Republic, who mentioned that she immigrated here when she was four and her specialty is dealing with immigrant kids. And for me, that was all she needed to say. Mm. I trusted her like I've never trusted anybody before. And something just opened. I wasn't only scratching the surface anymore. You know, the book ends with you reuniting with your parents, which I know was your greatest hope, but that's not where your story ends. Mm -hmm. What were the next years like? I think that for my family, a family of immigrants, the hardest part is answering this question. Mm -hmm. And the question is, was it worth it? Mm -hmm. Something that every single member of my family thinks about every single day, Mm -hmm. whether we want to or not. As a little kid, I was imagining a huge white picket fence plus a huge lawn and a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. My world went from running around an acre of land where I could pick any fruit that I would want. And I had parakeets, I had cats, dogs, chickens, (laughs) and it went and it got crunched into a little bed next to my parents' bed where seven people were sharing one small bathroom. Mm -hmm. That was very difficult. I think the dream of the United States and the reality of the United States did not match. Mm -hmm. And when they don't match, you keep asking this question, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Why did I just do all of that? And then that becomes this huge emotional, physical toll that the easiest thing to do is ignore. And that's what I did. And that's what I did until I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a fun time for anybody that knew me at that time. And it wasn't a great time for myself. Mm -hmm. And yet you achieved. And yet academically, you soared. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that like? You could look at my resume and easily say, oh, look, you're living the American dream. 
I am the absolute exception. This does not happen to everybody. I don't want readers to go there first. Oh, look, you are living the American dream. Instead, we'd want them to analyze how hard it's been mm-hmm. and how difficult it is to live with that pressure. I look at my mom, who's a nanny, my dad, who's a landscaper, and I see them work every single day. I'm an only child. Since I was nine, I've always felt that coming here, I was supposed to work the hardest mm. in order to make their lives and their journey and my journey worth something. Have you answered the question of was it worth it or do you feel like that's sort of the unanswerable? It changes every minute of the day. Since I got to this country, that answer has usually been no. Mm. Sometimes the answer is yes. Getting picked for this, the answer is yes. It was worth it. (laughs) Coming up, Javier shares the reunion with his parents after surviving his journey to the United States and shares their reaction to the deeply personal book when we come back. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Have your parents read Salito yet? When they picked me up from Tucson, they immediately asked what had happened. And I can't imagine being a parent, not knowing where your kid is, and being a parent feeling powerless because they couldn't go look for me. So it was like this very messed up position that Mm -hmm. they were put in. And what they do remember was what I smelled like. When they picked me up from Tucson, and it is a smell that they have never forgotten, and that always makes them tear up and break down. And that smell of piss, sweat, and excrement. And because of those reasons, I didn't share this book with them while I was writing it. I didn't want them to relive that. But now um, I'm very happy to say that there's a Spanish version. and. I gave it to them with the job of like, hey, can you read this and tell me if the Salvadoran lingo is mm. 100%? Mm. And my mom was like, yes, I'm going to do that work for you. Yes, son. And she started and she hasn't finished it. And I know she hasn't finished it because it must be difficult. My dad finished it and he was also writing his notes. And he said that I made him cry. And I told him when I gave him the copies of the book that I know that they must feel a lot of emotions, but writing this book 
and them reading it, they can be there with me. I can't even imagine what they went through not knowing where you were, how desperate they were to have you here, how desperate they were to escape. And do you have empathy for them um, knowing that they had to do that as your parents? My dad is the last of 17 children. And during the war, most of them joined the military. There were three of them, my dad included, who went the leftist route. Mm -hmm. And the older brother, who he considered a father figure, disappeared by the army. And that was in 1980, when my dad was nine years old. Wow. And I think that left a huge impression in my dad. El Salvador, for my dad, was a place of suffering. And it was a violent place. My dad fled because he was being persecuted during the war. He was left-leaning, and we didn't live in a left-leaning town. And he was an organizer. I understand why he left. Yes. My mom was a woman who was looking for work in the aftermath of a war, who whenever she looked for work, got sexually harassed because that's what happened back then and still happening in my country. She felt she couldn't get a job unless she did something. And so she left. And I completely understand that. Just how I left the Bay Area to go get my master's degree in New York City, it's the same conversation. They left because they, there was no work. So they went somewhere else. It just happened that it was, quote unquote, not a legal move mm -hmm. for them to leave. But on paper, they were doing the right thing. We went to the U.S. Embassy and tried to get a visa for my mom. They didn't grant her one. And then I went for one. And me and my aunt, they didn't give us one. And then we tried to go through a fake papers mm -hmm. through a, a, an airplane. That didn't work out. If you look at murder numbers in El Salvador. The war ended in 92, and by 94, murder rates were going up again. And in the book, I mentioned that one of my mom's friend who was in the gang got shot right in front. I was woken up by him getting murdered outside of our home. And so this is the violence yeah. that as a kid, I didn't understand. But as a parent, you don't want your kid who is nine, who's about to be a teenager, mm -hmm. and who's about to grow up into a young adult, you don't want something happening to him. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I have grown to have a lot more empathy for the reasons of them coming to this country. You totally understand it. Yeah. We talked about fear and the love and the hope, but what about the shame that you felt as a little boy, not only on this journey, but also once you arrived here? I was taught to hide, to keep what had happened to me secret. Nobody knew that I wasn't born in this country. I would lie to them. And at, at one point in my assimilation journey, I also pretended not to speak Spanish mm -hmm. in order to hide because I was ashamed of my language, of my country, of what I had done of crossing the border three times. Those were shameful things that society told me were shameful. And I think a lot of my journey in writing this book 
was realizing that I didn't have to be ashamed. And instead, I could turn that shame into something powerful. This kid who I was ashamed of for so long is actually a superhero. He has, he's went through something so difficult and survived. You also have dedicated your life in many ways, your work, your purpose, to working with immigrants, kids that are probably just like you were 20 years ago. So why has that been an important part of your life? This book, I hope, makes it into the hands of a little kid who doesn't feel seen and he doesn't know that what he just went through, what they just went through was worth it. And that's what was missing for me for so long. I could not be around other immigrants because it would have been detrimental. I would have had a breakdown. I've tried before I had therapy and I just couldn't interact because it was reminding me. Mm -hmm. It was traumatizing, mm -hmm. which is another reason why I was afraid to come to Tucson. Tucson, in my mind, was this very difficult place that only hurt me. It was a place of hurting. And now I've lived here for close to two years. And now I volunteer at the border with this beautiful organization, Salva Vision, run by an immigrant Salvadoran woman who immigrated across through the same sector that I crossed through. She crossed in 1980, I crossed in 1999. There are people crossing now as me and you are speaking. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed since 1980. And I must do something. And writing is one part. Now that I am facing and have faced that trauma, now I feel more comfortable interacting. And now I can interact because now I have a green card. Mm -hmm. I can drive across the border and go to a shelter and read my poetry mm -hmm. to immigrants. And that has been the most special part of this work. They're like, oh, wow, you went through the same thing that I went through, and you're a poet. And then seeing them write, they're like, oh, I can write, and I can dream of being a writer as well. Mm. Like, that is a possibility? Absolutely. And that wasn't there for me growing up. I go volunteer and interact with immigrants, and still, I can't do anything else for a week because it's still draining. It's like seeing myself and seeing these kids, too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of children mm -hmm. who are still trying to cross the border with their parents and some of them without parents. When you see those kids. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thrown back there again. And sometimes it feels helpless. Often it feels helpless. But hopefully my presence and the supplies that Salva Vision and the Kino Initiative and the Samaritans provide are leaving their mark. In a time where the discourse around immigration is highly political and polarized, what do you hope this book about a little nine-year-old does? As somebody who has lived what I lived, it has been frustrating watching the biggest protests at the time in 2006 when millions of immigrants flooded the streets And we all thought that something was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Marching did not work. And then you see all the newscasts 
focus on immigration, the newscasts aren't working. Mm -hmm. Then you see movies being made about immigration. Mm -hmm. That's not working. Documentaries, we see a picture that shows an immigrant in the worst time of their lives, and it makes it all over the news. And that's not working. So maybe if I tell my story, maybe if you're literally in my nine-year-old shoes, maybe it's harder to ignore a kid that's talking because it's very easy to ignore an adult, but it's a little kid and he's describing the world as he sees it. Maybe that shows us immigrants as human beings and maybe there will be more empathy. And then maybe the political conversation is going to shift into one more about humanity mm. rather than political parties. You can hope. Yeah. When we come back, Javier explains how writing as a form of therapy has changed his life. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus chews. How has writing changed your life? Mom made sure that I knew how to write before I got to preschool. So I knew how to write the alphabet before all the other kids did. I would write paragraphs as a four-year-old yeah, wow. to my dad. I think since I was a little kid, I learned to emote on the page. And that has always been an outlet, whether I realized it or not. Mm -hmm. When I got to this country, in sixth grade, before I ever wanted to be a poet, I won some poetry contest. And the poem that I wrote was about this shy turtle that turns into a courageous tiger. And that won second place in San Rafael, California. It's the cheapest form of art. <laughs> All you need is pen and paper. And that has always been my form of writing secrets. And I think people forget that coming out as undocumented as an immigrant wasn't a thing that you could do. Yeah. You were just told to hide. Yes. And not tell your secret yeah. to anybody. Until Jose Antonio Vargas, who's mm -hmm. also a brilliant writer, wrote that in the New York Times. And that's the first time that I felt seen. I was like, oh wow, this guy's undocumented and he's writing about his immigration story. I feel like writing this must have been deeply therapeutic. Absolutely. I like to also tell people that writing is not all of therapy. No. You can't just write <laughs> and think that you're fixing yourself. I tried that with my poetry book. I was like, oh, I wrote about my uh, immigration story. I am fixed. I am healed. Absolutely not. You need a therapist. And it has changed my life for the better. So writing, yes, therapy, mm -hmm. even better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I know that you dedicate this book, or part of the reason in writing it is that you're writing it for the people that saved you, Mm. walked with you, held your hand, carried you. What would you say to them? My hope is that they know that there's a book out there that's dedicated to them. And all they have to do is open the first page and then there's a dedication. And that they know that I made it, that I made it to my parents. And now here I am, a 32-year-old man, writing about them and thanking them. And I wish that they see this and that they know from the bottom of my heart that I thank my life to them. That it is their kindness and their humanity why I am alive. What a beautiful conversation and an incredibly important book. I really enjoyed speaking with Javier and Tucson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please give Read With Jenna a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Make sure to tell your friends about us, and new episodes drop every Thursday. Want to join our Read With Jenna community of book lovers? Head to today.com slash readwithjenna to find our monthly book list and to sign up for our newsletter. You can also find us on Instagram at Read With Jenna. This episode of Read With Jenna is produced by Danny Zhao, Lauren Spector, and Kate Saunders. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Masterilli. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Missy Dunlap-Parsons is our executive producer. And Libby Least is the executive vice president of Today and Lifestyle. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.